It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our best, uh, at least most of the time, to connect the dots between our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual selves. And um, I have as a returning guest, Yvonne DeVita. But before we get started with Yvonne, I want to remind everybody that all of the shows are archived at www.SynergyConnectionRadio.com. And I believe right now there's 21 pages of shows, and I think there's about 12 you know, shows on every page. Uh, so the shows are archived there, but they are at your popular podcast links as well. So Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, and Google, you can catch all of the shows there. Um, when you are on the website, we have been obviously concerned about COVID for over two years now. And you'll see a link there that is to Boomers Forever Young, and you can sign up for their free newsletter. Um, you can also go into their website, and they have thousands of testimonies. Um, they have blogs, they have videos, they have their own podcast. And so you can become much more acquainted with the products that I've been using for the last five years. There are two tests. I always explain these to people at the beginning of the show, because if you know your numbers for these two tests, and they're simple blood tests that you can have done when you go for your physical, um, one is your immune function, and that is a D as in dog three test. And you want that number to be above 70. I will tell you mine, uh, the last time I checked was an 82. Um, the problem we have is Vitamin D is a sunshine vitamin. We manufacture it, but we're not out in sun every single day. And you have to have this every single day in order to keep your immune function up. So the majority of people, because we live in houses, we drive in cars, we cover our skins, you know, we're in office buildings and medical buildings and whatever else. And so we don't get enough direct sunlight on our skin to give us the immune function we need. The majority of people, when they have this tested, will probably be in the high 40s or low 50s. 70 is where you are best or a little above that because that gives you the ability to fight off viruses and bacteria. And almost every single person that ended up hospitalized had a pre-existing condition and very low immune function. So that's real important for people to understand. It's not so much the virus as it is our own bodies and the ability that we sometimes don't have to be strong enough to fight off a virus. The other one, which is incredibly important, and again, these are tests that are covered by your insurance, but you just have to ask for them. Um, the other test is the C-reactive protein test. And CRP, like Cat, uh, Ralph, Paul, um, but CRP numbers, are a reflection of inflammation in your body. And any doctor will tell you that the higher the inflammation rate, the more opportunity you have for disease to set in. So your inflammation rate, you want below one. And again, I've been using the Boomer products for five years now. My inflammation rate is a 0.3. So you want to get your number as low as possible so that your body is always in tip top shape 
and you'll be able to handle, you know, any kind of issue that kind of comes along. I had surgery done last June and was in the hospital for three days, begged to leave on the fourth because I couldn't sleep. They constantly are waking you up. And um, I was actually, I had a, a serious surgery. Uh, they removed um, 12 inches of my colon, but um, I found a little cancerous polyp that had gone nowhere, thank goodness. But they said it would take about six to eight weeks to heal. Within three weeks, I was hiking on Cumberland Island and doing uh, over four miles on the island. So um, if you can do that, you know, it's because your inflammation rate is low and your immune function is high. If you have those numbers, you know where you stand. If you don't have those numbers, you really don't. You may think you're healthy, but you may not be. Um, so again, go check out their products. If you decide that you want to order something, then if you use my first name, L-U-C-Y, you will be able to get a $5 discount on every single order. You just have to put my name in there. And they're allowing us um, to do that. And I can offer that to the listeners. All right. So I have uh, Yvonne coming back and um, she's such fun. And she has her own podcast that she does. But her bio, I, I think is so cute because it starts with, I live in a cave where I hover over a desk with pen and paper, writing furiously every day. Or maybe that's a house and a keyboard and writing with great concentration and passion. And so um, we're gonna be talking today about how writing actually does soothe your soul because it is a way to get what's going on inside to the outside. And um, I think that's incredibly important. And it's something that I, as a private therapist working with my uh, clients, I tell them all the time, you know, you need to journal. So we're going to talk about how writing does soothe the, the soul. And welcome back. I'm thrilled to have you back on the show. Oh, Lucy, Lucy, this is such a delight. Delight because I feel so connected to the, the kinds of things that you teach people and the way that not just writing, which I'm going to talk about soothes the soul, but the way that you help us actually even recognize our soul and be able to connect to it. So when I say writing soothes the soul, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you a little short story. It started back when I first learned how to hold uh, a crayon in my hand or a pencil. And <laughs> I, I wrote stories, kindergarten, first grade. That's what I do is sit down and I write stories. And what I was doing was I was soothing my soul because things weren't really good at home and I needed an outlet. Of course, I didn't know it at the time, but now I look back and I think that's what started it all is that I needed some way to not just express myself, but I needed some way to get the worry and the fear mm -hmm. and the uncertainty out because it just wasn't good at home. But the stories I wrote weren't about the things that happened at home. The stories were wonderful stories about a little girl who had a dog. I what always kind of dog, dog was it? What kind of dog was it? 
I don't think I knew what kind of dog it was. It wasn't a very big dog. It had brown fur and a little black nose and a long, long tail. And it just, it was my best friend, this little dog that I would write about, um, draw pictures about. And it, you know, I wanted the, I don't even remember where I had ever seen anybody with a dog to make me want to have a dog but I wanted a dog so badly. So I would write these stories. And as I grew older, I did graduate into starting to write more stories that were about not the abuse that I was suffering, but children of abuse. Mm. And um, they were read widely by some of my friends who would, would say to me, where's the next one? Did you write another one? We want to see it. And, and that gave me my confidence to go on to become a writer, which, as you described earlier, is part of what I do today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, did you save some of those, you know, like early books that you were writing as a child? I don't think we have them. No, I don't think my mother saved anything. Oh, so, that's, you know. it's good that you remember them. Um, but it would be so much fun if you actually had some of those early writings. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it really? Um, I, I, I do think I have some of the things that I wrote. I wrote my first novel in seventh grade. And again, it was a, um, an outpouring of, it was about a woman who fell in love with a ghost. Oh, and, wow. and so the, the idea being, again, that things were better at home, but they weren't perfect. Um, They weren't the way that I saw my friends. I didn't have the kind of home life that my friends did. But I wrote this novel and I I poured myself into it and it gave me joy. So writing soothes the soul because you can, when you're journaling, you can speak to yourself. Mm -hmm. You can speak to another person whether they ever read what you write or not. And you can generally just either invent happiness for yourself or ways to find it, or you can begin to understand what's going on in your life and learn. What I did is I learned how to deal with it. My writing helped me learn how to be in the world separate from what was happening at home. Can you share that a little bit further? Because I think anybody listening might be a tad confused as to how can you, you know, take what's happening in the real world and then use writing to help you cope with the real world? Well, here's the thing. Again, I had quite a few friends Mm -hmm. and I would go and visit them at their houses and I would see that they were not treated the way that I was being treated. And there were times my friends would say to me, why don't you run away from home? And I would (laughs) say, where would I go? Um, But what happens is by journaling and getting your feelings on paper, this is you then, you're tapping into you and your heart and your soul, and you're putting aside then anything else that is um, bothering you or anything. I mean, I would go into the state where I was writing and I, I was like in my own little room, my own little world. Um, And so I think what it does is it helps you uh, understand that that girl 
at that place in that house is different than this girl out here because this girl out here gets to be what she wants to be. She's the person that maybe you're uh, writing about or, or de uh, developing these stories about or thinking about, whereas the person in the house, she has to be a certain way because she has to, that's where she lives and she has no choice. Out here, you have a choice. So it helps you make use of that choice. Did you ever find that as you were exploring choices with your fictional character, let's say, that it gave you an opportunity to kind of think about your own choices. You could explore them a little bit more. So it wouldn't be such a, um, a doorway that you walk through, but it would have transferability in a way because you could explore, I could do this, I could do this, and then maybe look at bringing some of what those choices might be into your personal life. A little bit, yes, a little bit, because I would would have these characters who there were no happy endings in my stories, but nobody died. <laughs> nobody, um, nothing got worse. Things got better, but there wasn't this um, happy-go-lucky, as you see on TV and the movies, off into the sunset kind of thing. It was just kind of, this is life. And so now you've dealt with these things and you've created these solutions for yourself and you did it because you could write about someone that, you know, at the time you would, I would have said, no, that's not me, but it was probably a lot of it was probably me. Uh -huh. And so the choices, the choices actually pop up while you're writing. This is the thing for me, this is the thing about writing. As you sit down to write, whether it's in your journal or writing a story or a book or whatever it might be. And the characters take on a whole life of their own. Right. They become real life people to you. And so you begin to um, guard them and, and you want certain, you want them to act a certain way. And often they say, no, I can't because you made me this way. I've got to do this. And you're saying, no, I want you to do that. And the character's like, I can't, you made me this way. I have to do this. <laughs> but, um, and, and that's kind of funny. People who don't write might not understand that, but <clears throat> the, the, the beauty of it is <clears throat> by writing in a journal, about yourself, about your experiences, about your day, uh -huh. your, your brain goes over that and begins to, to help you find solutions and, and open different choices and different doors or different windows. All you have to do is take those moments, very be, be calm, be in a place where it's quiet and right. And as you write, I don't know what, what you would call it, but your soul, your brain, and your heart work together to say, okay, we're going to help you, and we're going to open some doors or windows for you. You know, one of the things that um, I think writers do personally is the majority of time when we are just functioning in this world. Mm -hmm. 95% of it is actually spent in our brain. And we look at, you know, who said what, you know, how did they do it? 
Where are we going with this? And you can Google anything and everything and find answers. Um, or people are turning on their television and listening to their favorite pundit, you know, that's talking about anything and everything. Right. But when you write, if you're writing from your heart, then you're writing from your intuitive center. Mm -hmm. And so we have 40 million brain cells that are sitting in our hearts that help us intuitively navigate life. But we don't go there very often. We go there kind of at bedtime, you know, because we might be thinking about the day, but we just don't intuitively approach life. I think writers do. I think we, because I've written a book, I think we who do write, I think that's what happens. And when I was chuckling because you were talking about your characters, when I created the characters for my book, they became so real to me. It was as though they were my constant companions. And I knew that they understood that we create our reality, you know, in our, um, you know, our thoughts, our thoughts become that reality, which is another aspect of writing, right? So what was happening is um, I had, uh, I chose an illustrator, and I had to find an illustrator who would work with me Because most of the time when you publish, the illustrator is chosen for your book by the publisher and not by you. And in my case, because I was working, you know, with this individual, he is the um, one of the um, associate directors, I guess, of Universal Studios. So the characters began to look initially Uh, that he was showing me like something that would come out of universal. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, no, this is not a cartoon. These are real little mice and a real little boy. And it did take place in 1945 and the whole nine yards. Now where I'm going to share a, a cute story that just happened is I was able to go to Marjorie Rawlings state park, uh, this a couple of weeks ago now. And, um, I was the first children's author that they'd ever had signed books there. And so it was a beautiful day. It was outdoors. Um, It was not by her house. It was by the tenant house. So it sat behind her house and it was this charming, you know, wooden, um, I don't, I mean, it was just a primitive little cottage. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it was just very charming with the windows and the doors and the whole nine yards. So they had um, the chairs set up in front of it that the audience would come and sit in. And they had three authors. I was uh, one. And the other two were books that were more adult themes. So with my characters, you know, the animals talk, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The mice Mm -hmm. talk and the bunny Mm -hmm. talks and the cat talks. And so it's my turn. And I go up on the porch and I explain a little bit about the book and why I wrote it. And I'm sitting in like a rocking chair. And unbeknownst to me, to my right, a whole flock of chickens, because the chickens are free roaming on Marjorie (laughs) Rawlings property, but a whole flock of them, there were maybe like 15, marched in front that as I picked up the book to start reading, it was like they said, and here we are, and we are (laughs) animals, and we also have a voice. And they yeah. walked right in front of me and one of them hopped up on the porch beside me. I could not have orchestrated that any better than I did. And, and I was just blown away because they were so charming. And uh, some of the people that were in the audience that knew me pretty well, they said, only you 
would have animals <laughs> that would just show up on cue. Um, well, isn't it because you're in touch with that intuitive nature? Mm-hmm. And if we if we really admit to ourselves that um, we are not the only important beings on this planet, if we look at the animals that we interact with, so for instance, my desire to have a dog, um, I wanted a dog so badly, and I don't even remember why, why did I want a dog, I just remember wanting to have a dog, and I got a dog when I was 12, and that dog became an extension of me, right, so that um, my friends and their their families knew that if I was coming to their house, my dog was coming with me. Now, generally, the dog was for overnights. Well, even overnight, she would <laughs> she would lay on the porch, Aww. and um, I, and that was the thing. She was very good. I trained her to stay outside. Of course, if it was winter, I wouldn't. She would stay home. But but the point being that there was more of a connection than just a human being and an animal. Uh-huh. And we, we recognize that a little bit more today. Um, I'll tell you, uh, years ago, I was a co-founder of a very large and, and popular pet blogging community called Blog Paws. And so since Blog Paws, um, and all the bloggers that are out there on the web now and talking about this connection that we have to our pets and, and all pets. I'm not talking about just dogs, mm-hmm. cats, lizards, birds, whatever you call a pet. Um, people are talking about the fact that these are thinking, feeling, and many times intelligent beings that live on the planet with us. And, and the sad thing is how often we discount the fact that they live with us and we think that they just live by us or next to us. They don't. They live with us. So your book and your story touched my heart because I believed I believed that these these characters were real. Mm-hmm. I had no trouble accepting that 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 they were going to speak and they were going to help um, this little boy. So in in this, the whole conversation we're having here, this whole writing thing and connecting to your characters and tapping into your soul and journaling and all that, it's all part of, I think, so let's look back to the caveman days. They didn't have pen and paper, but they sat around and they talked to each other and they shared experiences and they connected. And it wasn't just because they were making sounds with their mouth. Right. Right. That is so true. Um, And that is a lost art. If you really do, if you, if you're out at a restaurant and you look at people, it doesn't make any difference. The age, even Um, people are, they have their heads down instead of talking to one another, their heads are down and they're looking at their phones. They're scrolling through news or text or whatever it is they're looking at Facebook, but they're not communicating with each other. So not only are we losing the ability to spell (laughs) and to write (laughs) sentences and paragraphs, uh, but we're also losing the ability to communicate because people are not in touch with their feelings anymore. They're just looking at a screen. And I think that is 
personally pathetic <laughs> because um, it's, it is, it's almost criminal. It's almost, yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about, let's look at young people. Okay. So let's imagine a young girl who has a crush on, on this boy in her class and she's 15. Mm-hmm. And they get to go to Denny's for lack of, of, of a, a local diner or restaurant they could go to. Um, they will probably spend some time learning about each other and speaking to each other and not looking at their phones until the next time they meet. And then suddenly they'll be back on their phone. And it's sad that we don't spend more time today away from these technological, I mean, my phone is, I use it to take pictures and I use it to communicate with people. And that's, you know, that's all I do with it. I don't work on it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm able to. I'm, lots of people seem to do, work on their phones, but I put it aside around seven o'clock at night and I might check it um, later in the evening to see if my daughter um, dinged me on Facebook and wants me to watch the kids the next day or something. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's like, it's a communication tool. It goes in the drawer. I don't want anything else to do with it. The computers, I'm away from the computer. I step away from the computer at three o'clock almost every day and I don't go back. And so if we could encourage ourselves and our family members to do things like that Mm -hmm. and get back to taking a walk after dinner, right? going out and looking at nature. Right. Um, I had a girl on my show a couple of years ago who wrote a book called If Trees Could Talk. Oh, cool. I love the title. Oh, it was wonderful. And she had a workbook that went with it. And she really talked about how she had gone out into um, many places where she traveled across the U.S. to different um, parks and and, um, forest places and hiking. And, And she talked about each different tree has a different voice. And she would talk to the trees and they would talk back. And honestly, I believe her. I believe the trees did talk to her. I, I think that's probably very true. I did a workshop with a man who's now deceased. Um, his name was Sunbear. And mm-hmm. uh, he came to the St. Louis area where I was at the time. And there were maybe 70 of us or something that had signed up for his workshop. And it was held at Shaw's Botanical Garden, which is a huge place in St. Louis. And so we, he had a cottage that was reserved And he was in full Native American garb. And I was in my, I don't know, maybe mid-20s at the time and very skeptical about a lot of different things back then. And so I was looking at his attire and I was like, boy, are you banking it to the the hilt here to get us to believe that you are still Native American and you're going to teach us about Native American ways. That was the best by, by far conference I've ever gone to. And one of the things he had us do was hug trees. And I had never hugged a tree until then. I, I love trees. I used to lay underneath them and, you know, I had a swing that came from an old tree and I loved um, weeping willows. If you have been around those, they're just so incredible. But I had never really hugged a tree and felt their energy. And that was when I began to learn that they do communicate. And one of the things that you probably know, but a lot of the listeners may not know is Trees will send roots, their own roots, to another tree who is maybe struggling with an insect invasion or something that is destroying part of it. They will nurture 
another tree. We as people don't even do that sometimes. And so trees seem to be here to teach us about being solid and, and having longevity and understanding that we need to bend or oftentimes we break because their limbs will break. Um, and the networking that trees can do with one another that we could learn to do, but you know, we don't. Yeah, the, it, it's so amazing that, um, that you say that about the trees because yes, I do know that. And she talks about that, Holly Wharton is her name. And she talks about that in her book, which is a really fantastic book. Um, and I will tell you another little story about me when I was um, writing these stories in high school. I also was a very avid reader, as most writers are, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was fiction, of course. And I would read everything I could find. And I loved um, the, the classics. I loved Anne of Green Gables. I loved Black Beauty. And I loved the stories like that. Well, I had a little... Um, at the t- halfway up the stairs in the house I lived in, there was a, a bench that you could sit on. And I would sit on that bench with my book. And there was a tree out the window. Oh, <laughs> It was in the neighbor's yard. And I would talk to the tree. And, and what the, did you say to the tree? The tree and I were best friends. And I would say things to, tree, to the tree like, you know, I bet I could write a book like this. No. I probably can. I'm not very good. I'm not very good. I, you know, I'm just not good enough to do, to get published like this. And the tree would answer me and say, I think you could. I know you could. You can write. You're a very good writer. And I'd say, no, my mother doesn't think so. She doesn't think I'm good at anything. And he would say, he or she, I don't know, think trees have gender, but, you know, don't think like that. You're a very good writer. And we would have these long conversations about what was happening in my life. And the tree was my friend. And it was like, I go up and talk to the tree. And I told that story at a conference where I keynoted once. And people came up to me afterwards, like a half a dozen people and said, I had a tree that I used to talk to too. Really? That is, that is very, very cool. That you know, they would choose because I can, I know that people talk to their dogs and their cats and their birds and their gerbils, but I don't, you know, know very many people uh, other than now you and myself and a few that actually embrace trees that, you know, see them as living entities. And um, I have a, uh, a book to write someday but it's about a, um, it's, it's already written in my head. I just have to sit down and write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about a, a knob actually that is on a cypress tree that okay. is uh, not too far from me at a park. And I came around the corner and saw it and immediately saw a dragon. Uh, it's shaped just like a dragon's oh, head. Wow. And so the dragon has been, it's a baby dragon, but it was a very impetuous little dragon. And so the dragon council of elders decided the only way that they were going to help him was to put him on the tree and he had to grant 12 wishes. And so it's the story about how he grants those wishes to each person. That's really awesome. You should write that book. I need to write it. I just, you know, as much as anything, it's like having the time, but um, maybe by late summer, early fall, I'm going to be relocating in a few months. And so my mm-hmm. attention now is there, but you know how books are sometimes downloaded. 
Mm -hmm. They just are, they appear and Mm -hmm. then boom, you know, everything about the book and how many chapters and about how long it's going to be. And that's what happened with this story. It was like, I came around the corner. I have the name of the character and I know exactly what will happen in the book. So it's a matter of boom, making it happen. Well, yeah, part of that, though, is because you're tapped into that energy and that intuitive nature that we have. Um, and, and it's there and you recognize it. And so it popped out when you needed it to. Right. And too many people, when it pops out, they push it down. They, they're like, no, I'm supposed to be sensible. I'm supposed to be, you know, um, purposeful. And I'm supposed to be this and that. And this is, you know, suddenly, I don't know what age it is, but, but you turn like, 10 or 11 and now you're supposed to act like a grown-up and stop doing all those childish things and that's foolish that's just foolish because it's when we're children that we're so connected to the earth and to mother nature and we need to hold on to that right right well i'm gonna pause for just a minute to have a word from our sponsor which is boomers forever young and we will be right back Are you feeling stressed and anxious about life? Have elevated blood pressure? Experiencing weight gain? Having problems with your immune system? Getting healthy and staying healthy is more important than ever. And it has never been easier when you have fundamental nutrition from Boomer products. Restore the youth and vitality you are used to in just minutes a day. Check out our website at www.boomerboost.com to see thousands of reviews from customers just like you who are benefiting from Boomer products. While you're there, check out our podcasts, blogs, and videos and get caught up on the latest health news and information. Use promo code LUCY at checkout. That's L-U-C-Y to save $5 on your order. Stop existing and start living today with Boomer products. All right. Welcome back, everybody. And we're going to continue our conversation with Yvonne DeVita. And I wanted to ask you something because we were talking about how books can be sort of like downloaded. Did you ever read the book called The Shack? They made it into a movie. But did you ever read it? I don't think so. All right. Write that one down so that you, you will absolutely love it, I think. Um, the book probably came out about maybe 12 years ago now, and it's, uh, sold way over 5 million copies and is in all these different languages, but it's one of those books that it just magically happened. That's the only way I can kind of explain it. Um, I got to meet the author when I was still living in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So he was on a little bit of a book tour and he was explaining that it was going to become a movie. And I kept seeing Oprah Winfrey as the main character um, and who they chose was Whoopi Goldberg. So mm-hmm. it was very similar. And she played God uh, in, in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. You could, when you look at the character, you'll just absolutely know. So um, the way his book came about was that every year in real life, he would write a short story as a Christmas gift to his immediate family. And so his wife reminded him that he hadn't written the story yet. uh, And it was getting close to Thanksgiving. And so she was like, aren't you going to write something this year? And he'd been putting it off. So he went in and literally sat down. And then it was like, she didn't even see him much for the next few days because the book came out and through him and it was finished 
So he didn't even have to think about where it was going or anything else. But instead of 35, 40 pages, it was now like 250. Wow. And so it was this story um, that is beautifully done about a man in Oregon whose youngest daughter dies. Uh, she's killed by um, what's called the lady, the ladybug killer. Mm -hmm. And it's how he comes to grips with his loss. Mm. But it's so beautifully put together, obviously enough so that they decided to make a movie out of it. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage anybody who's never read The Shack, you know, to go pick it up. I'm sure Amazon still has copies of it and mm -hmm. maybe even bookstores or they could order one, you know, for somebody. But that is how I think a lot of our stories are. It's something we see, something we want to research, something that has happened to us personally or, you know, like me with the knob on the cypress tree, it just was like, boom, this is the story we want you to write. And if we do get in touch with that intuitive part of who we are, there is an immense um, field of thoughts and dreams and all kinds of stuff in there that's highly, highly creative. And like you said, you know, this is a way that you can soothe your soul because mm -hmm. We live in a world right now. I mean, I woke up this morning and Russia has invaded the Ukraine. So, you know, what does that mean to us here in the United States? A lot of different things, including higher gas prices by the moment almost. They're talking about $4 a gallon now. Yeah. So, um, you know, how else is that going to impact us? Who do we know that might be in harm's way and what kind of fears? is this going to create in the minds of children as well as adults? Well, I, I can tell you um, the, the whole tapping into the stories of your background, your backstory, your history, um, even, you know, sometimes I feel like sometimes I get this overwhelming urge to write about something that happened to me or someone else before I was born. Really? I don't know where it comes from, but it's like, why do I have this? I don't, I'm, I'm never usually in a place where I can write it down and it's kind of gone when I get back, but I have them um, often. And I'll tell you, I work uh, in my business. I work with, with nonfiction authors and people think that when they're writing a business nonfiction book, that is about how they became a success or how they're going to help someone else overcome struggles or problems that they need to be like Dr. Spock in um, Star Trek, just, you know, very factual. Nobody will believe them if they bring in these intuitional stories. And I disabuse them of that idea right away. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to tell lots of stories. And, and I will say to them in their writing, there's a story that goes with this, isn't there? And they'll say, well, yeah, but I've never told it to anyone. So, okay, let's tell it now. Mm -hmm. And so I will pull these stories out of them because what it does is it makes them human. Mm -hmm. It makes them approachable. And they learn, and this is what I meant earlier in the very beginning of the show, they suddenly learn something new about themselves because they haven't thought of that story in like 30 years. Right. But here it came along when they were writing this nonfiction book about business. And I said to them, that's a beautiful story. 
We're going to put that in the book. And I think you should start telling people that story when you introduce yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I, one of the things that happened, and I think I might have shared this with you previously, but when I was doing the background for the website, and people, you know, wanted to know more about Weardale, England, and St. John's Church, and, you know, so I wanted to actually find out, was there a St. John's Church? I was pretty sure there was. But what I found out that I had no idea about is that in St. John's Church, back at the, um, I think it was like the early 1900s, there was a man who he called himself Mouse Man. And he said that because he was as poor as a church mouse. Mm -hmm. But what I found out was that where I have the mice being born, every one of the pews in that church, he had carved a mouse on. Wow. See? Yep. (laughs) Is that not magic? It is. It's totally magic. And the only thing that I can figure out, because there were several things that happened like that when I was digging into the area is that I do believe in past lives. And so I have a feeling that I probably chose that area because I lived there once upon a time, you know, in another lifetime. And so I knew about Hamsterley Forest. That was a detention camp area. And I knew about the fluorite mine in Weardale. I didn't know about any of that until I started doing that research, but there it all was. And so, you know, you have to kind of go, well, wait a minute. Is it possible that even though you've never been there, you actually live there once upon a time? Mm -hmm. I do. I believe it. I I feel there are some days when I have the most enormously strong deja vu that comes out of nowhere. And the, the normal scientific explanations do not apply. And I'll be like, why, why is this, what does this mean? And it isn't something I think that we can explain deja vu, making you feel like you've done or been through Uh the experience you're already having. Um, I don't think that there are an an explanation for it. And there doesn't really need to be, because to me, what it signifies is that there is a whole um, channel or world or whatever you want to call it that we know nothing about that's all around us uh-huh. that we can I think and I would like people to to consider this um, if you're sitting down and you're in that warm comfortable place whether it's your room or your dining room or an office with the door closed and you're starting to write that you will feel that that you will begin to tap into some of the things that are that exist in the in the heart, in the soul, in the periphery around our bodies, and the in the energy that we have that we we can't see it. I can't look at someone and see that energy, but they have it. We know that they have it. Um, you will tap into that if you take the time to actually shut out all of the electronics and stuff like that and even better to go out and sit under a tree in a sunny afternoon right or take a little blanket with you i have a park that's close to me in fact i went this morning um because i planted uh trees there with um a close friend or not trees i planted flowers there uh with a close friend about a year ago now 
and we haven't had rain here in Florida for a little bit. And so I knew that they were probably in need (laughs) of being watered, which they were. And um, so I walked around because it's right on the uh, Gulf of Mexico. So Mm -hmm. I walked around the water's edge and everything and uh, listened to, um, there were a variety of birds, including an osprey that was talking to me. And um, so it's so fun. Um, Blue jays are messengers, by the way. So when you see a blue jay, then you can kind of think, okay, what's the message that I'm supposed to be receiving? Yes, good point. We have a lot of blue jays around our house. Yeah. So they are always, uh, and, you know, if you see an animal regularly besides (laughs) your dog or cat, but, you know, an outdoor animal, whether it's a deer that appears, a fox, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. snake, whatever it might be. Um, go look up, you know, the meaning of that animal, because it probably is a spirit animal that Mm -hmm. has messages for you. And it's just you becoming aware of them in your life. Yeah, well, that really makes sense. And, And I, again, I feel so strongly that human beings today want, they want these, um, robotic lives. Okay, we want to push a button and our phone connects us to someone that we need to talk to. Push a button and the TV turns on. Push a button and our computer turns on. And it takes us so far away from those those days when we understood the power of the earth and mother nature. And, And mother nature is not here to make our lives miserable, even though we think she is because she gives us such, we think bad weather. Well, she doesn't do that. That is that is created and it's necessary for whatever is happening at that time in the world. And if we as human beings could just relax and start thinking about um, our surroundings, and when I say surroundings, I mean literally outside of your house. Right, right. Where's the nearest tree, the nearest park? Take We take the dog to um, the park a lot. Uh, we haven't gone in a while because the weather's been really bad. But um, I enjoy going to the park with her because there's so many trees there. It just, I mean, it rejuvenates me to go for a walk in the park. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big outdoor have a picnic kind of person because I, I just don't like sitting in the hot sun and fighting with the bugs. And why do I, I don't want to eat my food outside. But I do love going on. My daughter who lives next door has this beautiful screened in porch and they, we spent all summer there. I mean, she has a pool. I don't swim, but everybody else does. So I'll go sit on the porch and watch everybody swim because I'm not a swimmer. But, um, you know, there were she would have parties there and the family would would get together. And that's what it's about. And that's we should do much, much more of that and less, less, less of this sitting around looking at our phones. Mm-hmm. When my grandson was really t- small, I think he was about three years old and he used to come visit and I was on a little over five acres uh, in the Green Bay area. And so it was very private. And we had a, a bush hog um, that we had carved out a little path into part of the woods that we didn't cut. It wasn't maintained. Mm-hmm. And so um, when he would come up, uh, I would take him by the hand and we would start down this little path. And I would tell him, I'd say, well, wait, let's listen. I think I hear Indians. And he would listen <laughs> and then he'd go, yeah, I hear him too. I'd say, well, what do you think is going to happen? You know, so we would begin that creative process yeah. 
of, and, you know, people can do that still. I mean, if you went to a, a park with a grandson or a granddaughter, or, you know, your child is young and just listen, you know, maybe um, this one picnic table that I was sitting at had an inchworm on it. And if you've ever watched an inchworm, the way they crawl, they mm-hmm. you know raise their bodies up yep. and then they slide down and yep. raise their bodies up. So you, you know, begin to create a little story about the inchworm. Where is he going? What's going to mm-hmm. happen when he gets there? Mm-hmm. You know, does he have friends? And yeah. again, it begins to develop that creativity in a very young mind that yeah. will be with them for a lifetime if they learn to do that as opposed mm-hmm. to play video games. <laughs> so, yeah. well, and, and I think I would take my grandson to um, last summer, the summer before we would go to um, just around here and walk. And, and I live in a very rural area. Uh-huh. So he would do, he would be looking at with the, um, the gullies, the water flowing in the gullies would look for frogs. And I wouldn't let him, he want to catch a frog. And I'd be like, no, we're not catching the frog. The frog lives there. <laughs> it's not <laughs> fair to take the frog from there and try and take him home. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would look at insects and we would look at um, leaves that had fallen off the trees and, and just, just do more than just walk straight ahead. We, you know, observing and participating kind of in the nature that was around us because he would would have so much fun. He'd pick up rocks and throw them in the water. Mm -hmm. And then we come back here to our house and there's a a gully behind our house. And he and Tom would gather all the dead twigs from the trees and throw them down into the the gully. And I mean, it was just fun. Um, Has he ever seen a walking stick? No. I don't think he has. You know, I wonder how many of them still are alive. I mean, I, I hope they are. But when I was little, we was just we used to see praying mantises and walking sticks. And I think the other insect, it was like a leaf insect. Yeah. And I think they called it some sort of a cicada. Yeah, but I remember seeing them along with ladybugs all over the place. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think we've seen, I think we've seen praying mantis. We do see a lot of birds. So um, we have blue jays that come to the tree in our front of our house. We have a number of other birds. I don't know what they are, but it's so, in some ways, when it's bad weather and I can't go out, or I should say bad weather, more in the spring and the fall, you can look out the living room window and the birds will come and just watching the birds is so soothing. Just not even being outside, but just sitting in my chair in the living room and looking out the window. And I play that game that you just talked about. What are they talking about to each other? Where are they going? You know, they'll fly from one branch to another. Which ones are paired? Are there two, are those two, you know, going to build a nest and have, have babies? And it's just very pleasant. And it just makes for a wonderful half an hour to an hour of time that they're there before they all fly off and go wherever they go. Oh, um, you know, I'm thinking of another childhood book that if your grandchildren have not read it, I would encourage them to read it because it helps develop the skills that they sort of need right now as they're growing up. And it's called Hope for the Flowers. Did you ever read that? No. Um, It's about two caterpillars and um, one is yellow and one is striped and uh, they're crawling up a pillar of caterpillars. They believe that there's something at the top 
And so everybody is stepping on everybody to get there. Some of them are kind of falling away. And yellow is a little female striped as a male. So yellow decides that she's just had it. She's not wanting to fight the race anymore. So she turns around and leaves and, you know, has this urge inside of her to spin a cocoon. Mm -hmm. And so she emerges later as a yellow butterfly and goes back and finds Stripe, who's still trying to get to the top. So, you know, it's a wonderful story about how if we allow ourselves to become whoever it is that we're supposed to be, you know, that we, we can emerge successful and that we don't have to be fighting the uh, corporate ladder or anything else necessarily. Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds familiar, like I've heard of it before, but I don't think I've ever read it. Yeah, hope hope for the flowers. <laughs> Very nice. One of my favorite ones to use when I was uh, working with children in the schools as a psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And so I don't do as much with kids under the age of probably twelve now, uh, as like I did then because I was in an elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, I work with adults mostly, (laughs) but, um, so journaling, uh, writing a story, creating a story. Uh, Now you said you do not, you work with people that do nonfiction. So if somebody's listening to this and wants to talk to you about, you know, publishing a book, Mm -hmm. you would be able to work with them. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm working with a young woman who's writing her memoir and it's, it's very, and that is a very revealing and, and um, difficult thing to do. So we're, we're working through some of her memories and some of the stories that we have to decide, should she tell the story or not? And, uh-huh. and maybe she saves it for, for when she's speaking in front of an audience because she'd like to um, take her book and help other people. The desire is the book will help other people in her situation. Um, and I've also worked with some fiction authors. And um, yes, what I do is I help people with the writing part of it so that it's grammatically correct and it's all the editing is done and the, the, um, the words flow, the, the sentences flow properly, the paragraphs are where they belong. Sometimes we say, no, the story belongs over here, not, not where you have it. I think you should have told it in chapter one, not in chapter four. So I work as a developmental editor. Um, and then my husband does the interior page design and layout to make sure the book is going to look exactly the way the author wants. So the author's in charge of all of the design, the cover, he does the cover design, but based on what the author chooses. And then we um, make sure the book gets up on Kindle. And while we're doing all of that, I also work with the author to develop a platform to sell and market the book. Yeah, that's one of the toughest things, I think, for everybody that is in the writing industry today. Mm -hmm. You know, 25 years ago, you would have an agent that went out and, and kind of spread the path so that you could walk down it more easily. Today, pretty much you can, you know, do the bullet points of what needs to be done, but then the the writer has to be the one that goes. The truth of the matter is, Lucy, that even 25 years ago, um, traditional publishers did not help people market. They chose, they they would pick and choose the limited number of authors that they might send on a book tour. Uh, Um, It was a very small amount. 
And even those authors were um, tasked with selling and marketing their book. And if they didn't sell out the first printing, then it would not go to a second printing. So the book then was dead in the water because the publisher owned the rights to the book and they would just take it to the, um, they would actually have it ground up into pulp. So today, because we have really solid and talented people um, in Kindle uh, to develop print on demand, and we have people like myself and my husband who design and create the same quality product that you would get anywhere else. And then we help and teach the authors how to market it. Um, anyone who's a new author has a much better chance of, of um, being successful by working with a company like ours. And I have to say that I, I want to put this out there because I want people to understand. A, I, I know many traditionally published authors and they have said 100% that um, they were in charge of marketing and selling their book. The, the publisher did not help them at all. And so many of them then turned to self-publishing. But I also want to say that if you are a new author and you decide you're going to go with one of these companies that say, yes, I will publish your book for you. So we'll have an imprint on it that is a publishing imprint instead of your name. So a self-published author has their own imprint. Now, your publishing you become your publishing company. So you create a new logo and an imprint. And nobody, by the way, ever looks at a book to see who published it before they buy it. But um, what I want to say is if you're going to work with one of these companies, I do not have an imprint. I, so I do not create it. I help the authors create their own. But other companies that will say to you, yes, we can do that. We have an imprint. We will publish your book. You know, be very selective. Read your contract very carefully yep. and um, make sure you get a print proof. Because if you do not get a print proof and the cover's all messed up, you're stuck then. You're stuck with that cover because they're a publisher. They're not print on demand. And um, I, I talked to several authors in fiction um, recently in the last three months whose, whose publishers sort of published the book. What they did is they produced a print copy of the book that the author wrote, but the interior page layout is very poorly done. Uh, the um, grammar and punctuation did not have a really talented editor. It might have had someone who tried to check for commas and periods and things. Um, and, and so don't, don't think so hard about the book um, as, what do I want to say? I Consider your book a part of you. Consider your book, if you're a nonfiction author, as a product of your business, your career, and the things that you want to do. So it needs to be beautiful. Mm. It needs to look the same on a table or on a shelf that a book published by Simon & Schuster looks like. Right. And if you can't find a publisher or someone to do that for you, um, you know, just be very careful because I, I, these publishers are taking people's money and they're not turning out. Well. Right, right. Well, hopefully, um, you know, people will, if they've thought about writing their memoir, if they have that creative side to them and they really want to get their book out there, regardless of, of whether it's nonfiction or fiction, 
I hope they will contact you and talk to you about, you know, using you as their publisher, because every step that you just now talked about, I had to go through. And um, I was fortunate in that I knew somebody locally that was what you are. And she walked me through those steps. Um, but and you um, had a great illustrator and you you took the time to make sure the illustrator was going to make the, the right illustrations. Uh-huh. Let me that's it. I mean, even if your book doesn't have illustrations. So so I one author is a nonfiction and the book has charts and graphs and things in it. And they're just not placed properly on the page. Image placement is very serious work. Yes. Yes. And so if it's a nonfiction book, the graph or chart or whatever should be with the paragraph that explains it, not on the next page. Right. And there are ways to make that happen if you know how to do interior page layout. Um, and then the back cover of the book and the, the author's image and <clears throat> the blurb and the index and um, the table of contents and then finding and having at least 10 or 15 people who will write testimonials. So you have them in the front of the book and on the back cover and you have them on the website. These are the kind of things that we do that I don't see other people doing. Yeah, I I would have totally agree. Totally agree. Well, again, I want to thank you for being on the show. Our our hour just absolutely flies when we're together. Yeah, thank you. So I hope that uh, anybody listening to the show today or, you know, they are archived. So you can certainly go back and check them out on the podcast sites or at www.synergyconnectionradio.com, either one. Um, But uh, yeah, if you've got that book inside of you, think about contacting Yvonne and letting her make it a reality for you. Thanks, thanks, Thank you again. I will have that information on the synopsis on the podcast so that they can connect with you directly. Excellent. All right. All right, everybody, go out there and make this your best life. And thank you for joining us at Synergy Connection. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.